I think we got it. Ask Becca if she can hear me. I can hear me through your phone, so you might want to turn it down. <laughs> the question is, can Becca hear you? Because if Becca can't hear you, good. All right, then whatever that was, I kicked everybody out and started it up again, and hopefully now it's working. <laughs> I don't want to play anymore. I want to go home and go back to bed and start over. All right. This is what happens when you take someone like me who is barely technologically literate and you put them in charge of all the technology. <laughs> if anyone else would like to be technolo technologically literate and fix all this, anytime. <laughs> all right. Something productive. So if that's working, then let's... Where are we this morning, Cameron? Let's get the screen caught up if we can. Hey, look at that. We are in chapter 3 of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, that means we have seen the founding of the church. We have seen Paul's care and concern for the flock. Now we're going to start to get some interaction with the church. The, uh, the fun part of today is we still aren't at the problem. <laughs> the world's longest introduction is in 1 Thessalonians. But we do have some goals for the day. One, we want to see why Paul is secure and why the church is secure. We want to understand the godly relationships that are on display, both with Paul and the church and with Paul and other people. And we want to rejoice at the power of God in the lives of his people, because that is going to be clearly on display this morning. So with all of that said, all 13 verses of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Therefore... 
When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through our faith, through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we, with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Say that three times fast. With, with which we. Okay. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I told you we weren't getting into the big problems yet, but you know what? Just dive right in. Verse, uh, verse 1, therefore, all right, what's our rule? Don't, not that rule, yes. Don't do dumb things is always in effect. This is one of those rules of Bible reading. This is one of those questions you should ask. Whenever you see a therefore, you should ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? So, therefore, in light of everything else Paul has said, his relationship to this church, his connection to them as brothers in Christ, his founding of them, his suffering with them, their continued walking in godliness together. They are one and the same in God. He cares for them. They care for him. In light of that, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Because of that love for the church, because of his concern and care for them, Paul has separated himself from Timothy. And if you're just reading along going, oh, okay, so what's, what's your point? For Paul to say he's going to willingly separate from Timothy is kind of a big deal. Remember who Timothy is, 1 Timothy 1-2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 2-2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the wrong verse. Realized it halfway through reading it. That's, what did I say? I said 2 Timothy, oh my goodness, you're catching me live with mistakes. That's 2 Timothy 2, 2. I want 2 Timothy 1, 2. See what happens when you copy the wrong face, wrong verse? To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Typing a number matters. So Timothy is the true child in the faith of Paul. This is his beloved son in Christ. He cares. This is someone who has a relationship. Paul doesn't have other family. So the church 
is his family. To identify one member as a son is like... <laughs> so, he sends Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. This is also, though, why Paul's sending of Timothy is the right decision, and Timothy is the perfect person to go. Uh, this time, we do want Second Timothy too. You're never going to get over that. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. If Timothy is taking after Paul, do you think he meets the criteria of that hard worker, of that diligent servant? Yes. Now, this is where we get a nice little turn. We're, we're going to take a short little exit ramp this morning. This is, this is why any time it was needed, Paul sent Timothy to churches. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Now, you're going, okay, that makes sense. Good, smart Christian guy that Paul has trained up and, and raised, so to speak, in the faith. Send him every chance you get. But it's like sending away a beloved child. This is a picture into the heart of Paul, which um, any time you get a chance to do something that you can be like Paul, do that thing. What's more important to Paul? That he keep the beloved son with him or that he send the best possible teacher to these churches? Even though he does not want to be separated from Timothy, even though Timothy is his child in the faith, his fellow worker, a good worker, What's more important, that Timothy be with Paul or that Timothy go because he's the best one to solve that problem? Which means anytime there's an issue, where does Timothy go? <laughs> he is off to wherever Paul sends him. This is something we do not do a good job of in churches and in this country in general. We want things to serve who? Us. This guy right here, right? In Christ, we should want the things of our lives to serve not my, not my desires, not my kingdom, but Christ's. And you see this actually on display. We love Timothy. We want him around. It's more important that you hear from him right now. So we're sending him off. We will be left alone and send him out. And Timothy, who would probably rather stay and minister with Paul, does what willingly? He goes. This is a lesson for us. The goal of discipling is to actually replace you. We don't think like that. This is one of those lessons you learn when you have kids. That's the goal of parenting, that they live in your house forever and cut your lawn, right? No, that one day you go and they do what? They go out that they raise families, that they function in society. This was, this was one of the things that my father actually got right, that even though I didn't like it, he, I actually respected about it. He used to always tell me, I don't care if you like me, I have to send you out of this house one day and the rest of the world has to deal with you. <laughs> and yes, that was usually how it was put, with some expletives mixed in there somewhere along the way. But as an adult, I actually do appreciate it. 
because that is that should be one of the top goals of parenting is I actually have to train you up to be a mature adult. Should also be my my if I could speak English today, that computer has got me all frazzled. That should also be my goal as a Christian disciple maker. I don't want to train up disciples who follow me around. I want to train up disciples who follow Christ, which means some of them should surpass me. Some of them should go on to other things, other ministries. If they don't, then we're, tra we're training and conditioning them to do this, not to do kingdom work as they go out. We've got to make sure our focus is right by making sure it is God-centered. So, first, verse 3. Verse 3. There we go. Get the right number of fingers going here. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Continue on. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. We covered this. Paul left persecution to go into Thessalonica. He encountered persecution in Thessalonica. Is this unusual? No. Timothy's job is to go and ensure discipleship amongst the church because what is going on in their town is not weird. It's not unusual, and it's not odd. Jerusalem, church pops up. Day of Pentecost comes. Holy Spirit, 5,000 are added. What happens, like a chapter later? A couple chapters later. Actually, no, I take it back. A chapter later, Peter and John are brought in. Message goes out. More get added. Peter and John are brought back in. Message goes out. Church grows to the point we need people to administer in service. What, I mean, what happens? Stephen gets appointed servant of the church in chapter 6. What happens in chapter 7? <laughs> they kill him with big heavy rocks. This is not unusual. Philippi. What happens in Philippi? Same thing that happens in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. What happens to Galatia? Why do we have a letter to the church in Galatia? Because deceivers have come in trying to steal the joy from these people. Persecution has occurred. What happens at the church in Rome? I mean, Peter and Paul are both going to be executed in Rome. This is not unusual, 1 Peter chapter 4. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So take out the clause. How would you read that? Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, as if some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. What was Jesus preparing the disciples for when he left? A world that was going to be like, we didn't know, we're sorry. Or a world that hated them, their message, and their Savior. This is one of those consistent messages of Scripture. Go back, if you didn't do the homework this past week, go back and read the life of Ahab. Go read what it was like to be a prophet during Ahab's reign. Go read what it was like to try to be faithful during Ahab's reign. This is what Jesus was attempting to prepare the people for. Luke 12. When they bring you before the synagogues. What, what, what was the conditional at the beginning of that sentence? When they bring you. If they bring you. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. What was our call in this world? Matthew chapter 10. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Who would like that job? Who, who wants to go into the wolf pack as a sheep? <laughs> yeah, uh -uh. 
So be what? Be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts. They will scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. See, this is the normal for the church throughout history. And one of the, one of the worst things I think that ever happened to the Christian church was that that stopped. One of the worst things that ever happened is Christianity not just became legal, but became official. What happens when you stick an official government badge on something? Does it get better? <laughs> See, you're laughing because it's like if, like, if I gave you two options, like this one was produced in a government lab. It's free. This one was produced at great expense and investment. It will cost you money. Which one do you think is better? <laughs> What's the old adage? You get what you pay for, right? This is, this is one of the things we've learned throughout human history. There is nothing that bureaucracy and government makes better. That includes religion, and it especially includes Christianity. This is the problem you have with the church throughout its history when you get through the Middle Ages, is you have the merging of the government, the state system, and the church system. You end up with this weird amalgamation where neither one of them works right, and they both become a disaster. That all starts the minute Christianity becomes the legal thing, the thing that is praised by the public. It's not meant to be praised by the public. It's not a message the public readily receives. I mean, think about what's the call of the gospel. You are bad. You are no good. And you are incapable of saving that. You're incapable of changing that, of making it better. But God, being rich in his mercy with which he loved, has sent his son to die for those sins, has raised him as proof of his deity and power and perfection, and then calls you to reject yourself, reject your life, and reject your sin, and trust in the provision that he has granted. And then do that every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> it wasn't me, it was that woman you gave to me. <laughs> See, we've talked so much about the audio going out online that I now have people in the sanctuary playing with the online audio. It's a good day. Like, we're, we're all 12-year-old children now. <laughs> playing on our phones. Might as well hand it start listening in. <laughs> hey, you got to have some fun with it, right? If you can't have fun in the world with this going on, with the joy of Christ, and you never will, this is when we get a picture of how much joy we can actually have in Christ. Now, all of that said, let me see if I can get back on the highway here. The message of the cross is foolishness and idiocy to the world but it is not to God's people, and that's the thing we have to remember. So when they don't like the message, our first thought should be, duh. I mean, it should be, duh. Of course they don't. Why would they? When they don't like me for proclaiming the message, the first thought should be, duh. Why would they? We do it anyway. Why? Because this is the call that we have been given. We make disciples. Well, they're not listening. Okay, then move on to someone you can make disciples with. But that's not going to be happy and fun for me. One of my favorite phrases is, it isn't about you. It's about Christ and his kingdom, not ours. That's why we started where we started with this morning. Remember, by its very nature, the gospel message rejects the world and worldliness. What is, what's the call from Luke 9? Jesus was saying to all of them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must do what? 
deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Die to self. Die to desires, die to wants, because in my flesh, in my sinful estate, the things that I want are not good, and they are not good for me. So I die to them, and I focus my heart, mind, and energy on Christ, knowing that the things that he is giving me to do are good, and they are right, and they are holy. And when the world hates that, I should get in line and go, they didn't like anybody else either. Why should I be surprised they don't like me? Now, again, warning, that is not an excuse to be a jerk about it. <laughs> the Bible verse is not speak the truth as meanly as possible. It is speak the truth in love caring about people, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, we made a big deal about this last week. Is your faithful labor in God's kingdom ever in vain? No. Oh, example of this is Acts chapter 5. Um, after calling in the apostles, they had them flogged and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. They went on their way, this is the apostles, and from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, most people say, if the government brings you in and beats you, you probably did something wrong, right? They went out and said, we did it right! We got it right! Go team! Look, they beat us! It's a good day. See, that's weird in the world. It's not in the kingdom. So our faithful labor is never in vain. But do you want that for no converts? No. And nobody does. I'll never forget I had a conversation with a, with a friend of mine who was, a, um, was an associate pastor of a church the next town over. And he and I were talking about this exact topic. And I said, look, you know, some people just... They're, they're called to run their head into the brick wall a lot and deal with a stubborn people, and it doesn't always go well. And he stops, and he goes, I don't want to be Jeremiah. <laughs> and I said, I don't think Jeremiah wanted to be Jeremiah. What's your point? See, nobody wants that, so you can understand Paul's question here, that our labor might have been in vain. You want hearts and minds and lives to be changed. You want people to grow. You want people to change their lives, to develop a godly faith, to grow in discipleship, and to walk the path. Just know that even if they do not, your faithful service is good and it is right. But the reason why I tell you that you still need to desire those things is we can't forsake the joy of the Holy Spirit when he's working in other people. This is part of the thing we actually look forward to and long for. We should look at the world. We actually were having this conversation just this morning. That when we see the world acting like lunatics because they do not understand Christ, are we surprised? No, when we see the world doing silly things because they do not know how this place is supposed to run by God, are we surprised? No. Does that mean we look at them and go, can you believe what these pagans are doing? They're getting exactly what they deserve. <laughs> A little more fire and brimstone from the left, please. No. We look at the silliness and say what? I wish they'd stop. I wish they'd listen. I wish they'd realize there's a better way. There's another road. There's a different avenue that we can take to accomplish the good things that they want. 
There's a better way to live this life and a better thing to be searching after than whatever it is they are. If we lose that, we lose the mourning over sin, not just ours, but theirs as well. We get hardened, not just to us and others around us, but we get hardened to the world in general. That's not good. Dying to self, dying to worldly desires is not killing them. It's about killing sin in you. And there's a difference between those two things. Too often, we shut ourselves off from worldliness, not by killing the desire in me, but by killing the access in them. We make the problem who? Those people. It's not my sin problem. It's them and their evil, pagan, ungodliness that's the problem. If I just stay away from that long enough, I'll be better. Maybe. Maybe not. Now, I did not tell you to run headfirst into sin. If you are struggling with the sin area, get away from the things that would cause that. So if you're struggling with drugs or alcohol, don't go hang out with the drug dealers and the alcoholics, all right? That's, that's called wisdom. What I'm talking about is the world in general. This is how monasteries got built in the Middle Ages, is we looked and said, holy people, abstain from worldly things. And we went, uh-huh, I'm with you so far. So the holiest of people will not have contact with the worldly lesser things, okay? Therefore, we're leaving. <laughs> But if all the godly people leave, and there's none of them around, who's making the disciples? Bye! <laughs> I mean, that was the argument. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not good. It wasn't good. Despite some of the good things that came out of the monastic movement, on the whole, it was not good. We have to be involved and engaged in the world in some manner. If we're not, we're not actively making disciples in it. We're not actively, ooh, eschewing the things of the world. I got two weeks in a row out of that. See, you like that? <laughs> We're not sending those things out. We're not actually disciplining ourselves. We're trying to discipline them to make us holy. It cannot, will not, has not, and does not work that way. That means we're going to be grieved a lot. Because as we walk and meander about on this planet, what are we going to encounter? Sin, worldliness, and things that hurt us and drag us down and go, nope, nope, nope. And we have to recognize that that's good. Because that is how we are pruned and that is how we are shaped and molded by God. By using the hard things of this world, the pressure and the, the desire of this world to mold you into the Christian disciple that God would have you to be. He actually uses that pressure to produce in you a faith that lives in the midst of these things, but does not trust the things of the world. And that's the difference. And that part of that starting point is recognizing the condition of myself and the people around me and the world in general and mourning all three. There's another conversation I had with somebody yesterday. When do you ever get over this feeling of guilt for sin? <laughs> That's a good one. You don't. Ever? No. But remember, the, remember our, 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 our math equation. This is a Robert Murray McShane's math equation, a Scottish pastor from the early 19th century. For every look you take at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ. Because every time I'm down and beaten by my sin, and I start to wallow, what can I look at? I go, 
For that too, he died. For that too has been nailed to the cross. That too has been cast away. That too has been forgiven. And that means I'm on the right track. Because that's the message we carry out. We don't just beat the world over the head with a big Bible going, sinner, 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 sinner. No, it's sinner. But there is a Savior. See, and this is the consistency that we have. Remember, this is, this is the one Bible verse that every person knows, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Remember the second part of that. For by the same standard you judge, you will be judged. Yes! That's what I want, because as a Christian, I'm telling you you're no good. And I'm no good based on that exact same standard. But Christ dies for people who are no good. See, there's hope. <laughs> that's, I want you judged by that message because that's the message that I'm judged by. I'm not good. You're not good. Nobody is good. Christ is good. And he brings us into the courts of God blameless because of that goodness, because of that perfection. And he takes the sin and the iniquity that we have and he pulses, pushes it away. It is dead, nailed to the cross, as Colossians 2 would tell you. So, Let's continue. Verse 6. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. See, Paul is comforted. Timothy has returned, and what have we got? We've got good news. The Thessalonians are doing well. They're, the church is a success. The people are growing in their faith. This is awesome. Why are we writing this letter? <laughs> this is week three, right? Anything bad going on in this church? <laughs> Any problems? This is awesome. Like, this is the church we all want to be in, right? Seems like it. Let's keep going. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Their faith has been proven, and Paul therefore rejoices. We saw this a little bit last week at the end of um, chapter 2. Who is our hope or crown or joy of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. In other words, when Christ comes, Paul and friends are going to stand there and go, look at this, look at this church. This is what we labored to produce, and this is what it has become. This is good. Not that they've done anything awesome, because who has saved them? Christ. Who has delivered them? The Holy Spirit. Who has carried them along? The Holy Spirit. But who's connected to them? Paulus. They are his people, one and the same. He rejoices because as he goes marching in, does Paul go marching in alone? No. He goes marching in with all of those that God has saved, all of those that he has personally touched and discipled, and even those that he hasn't, and he will rejoice. Now, do not miss this. How is their faith proven? We really live if what? If you stand firm in the Lord. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases, uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Beyond the alert, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And my favorite is Philippians chapter 1. Conduct yourselves in a manner 
worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation to you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. See, that's the reason that one's my favorite is because it gives you the grounding. See, I can go tell you, go, stand firm. How? Where? When? See, who strengthens you? So go back to Philippians. This is your coffee cup verse. Who strengthens you? Philippians 4. Christ strengthens me. I can stand firm because as Christ, as the one who has turned from sin and trusted in his provision, I am strengthened by him. Who secures me? This is another, this is Bible trivia. Specifically. Ah, Holy Spirit is my down payment. He is the proof of my salvation. His indwelling is the guarantee that I will be continued along. Why Paul can say that God will complete the good work begun in you. Christ strengthens me. The Holy Spirit secures me. Now, they do all of that work. Who has forgiven me based on all of that? God the Father in heaven, sitting on the throne, representing the Godhead. He has forgiven me. So I can stand firm, not because I'm good, not because I'm strong, and not because I'm safe, but because I am God's child. And in him I stand firm. This is one of those lessons we're always learning, the question I'm always asking you. What can the world take from you? Nothing. I'm not secure here. I mean, good Lord, has the last month and a half not proven how insecure we really are as a people in this world? I mean, let's think back. Let's, let's rewind like uh, four and a half months sitting around Christmas morning watching family and drinking coffee like did you did you have it that spring would occur and everybody really like, we're all gonna die the virus is gonna kill everyone like did you have that on your calendar at Christmas yeah yeah Vern had it marked like March 28th we're all gonna die like April 17th Armageddon May 4th, apocalypse. I mean, no. Nobody puts that on the calendar because you don't want to look like a lunatic. When people come over, what's this apocalypse you scheduled? That didn't happen. Well, apparently it did happen now, and we didn't schedule it. It wasn't in my planner. It wasn't on my wife's calendar. I don't think it was on any of yours either. This is a beautiful reminder. And yes, I'm talking about a terrible thing is a beautiful reminder. This is a beautiful reminder of how fragile this place really is. And this is something we haven't gotten really in a few generations. Like, let me see. You might have to play with your ages, but your family members that were born, your, your family members, for me it was my grandparents, for Cameron it's some grandparents, some great-grandparents, for some of you it may be aunts, uncles, parents, that were born in the teens, the 19-teens. When you knew them later in life, you know what the, did you notice what they all had in common? Did they ever throw anything away? Never. My grandparents had junk upon junk. They had boxes of boxes in case they needed to put stuff in it. I mean, you, you know, but you know why that is. Because stuff was temporary. They, they grew up, went through two world wars, a Great Depression, and an economic boon. And suddenly they were like, we have things. When I was a kid, this is my grandparents. When they, when they were children, they didn't have 
things. So now that you've got it, you know what you don't ever do? Get rid of it. You might need it. So you stick it in a box, you put it in the attic, you label it somewhere, and then you forget about it. That's how this works. And we all come along and do what? We're throwing stuff out, and then what happens? You know, I had that thing, and it, and it did this job, and I need that. Oh, we got rid of that. What do we go and do a stupid thing like that for? Because it sat in the shelf for eight years and nobody touched it? Okay, touche. <laughs> and off to Home Depot we go. <laughs> I mean, there's the world. See, that's the way we've grown up. See, my grandparents grew up in a world that if you had it, you kept it because you couldn't get another one. I grew up in a world that if I needed it, what do you do? You go to Lowe's, you go to Menards, you go to Home Depot, you go to Walmart. Like, you have your choice. Like, we drive farther because I'm not going to the to the parts store or the, the hardware store that's in the little town because they're going to charge me $4 more for it. I'm going to go another 12 miles and go to the big store where I can spend less on it. I mean, I have options. Now we're going to the store and it's what? One. You can get one gallon of milk. Yeah, you get one green bean. That's, that's still my favorite story. The, if you don't know this one, the, the lady uh, signed up for home shopping assistance you know, trying to stay inside. And someone was doing the shopping for her and she ordered one order of green beans and they brought her a green bean. <laughs> one green bean. Yeah, like, there it is. And I'm, sorry, I'm still like the person who posted this. Like, did the person in the store agonize over this? Like, which green bean do you pick? And like, when you picked the one, how did you know? Like, what made that green bean the green bean? But anyway, no. this is the world we live in. If you wanted it, what do you do? You go get it. Go do that now and stand in line. And like I said, go to Walmart and it's one case of water, one gallon of milk one loaf of bread it's one ca it's one package of chicken it's, it's you get one. Oh yeah and if you really want to have some fun while you're in the grocery store cough i dare you because <laughs> everyone in the room will go <sighs> like the vampires peeking around the shadows looking at the light going do they have it are they spreading the plague i mean why? Because millions upon millions of people have been confronted with something that Scripture tells us plainly. You're going to die. And something is going to kill you, and you have an eternity that you must deal with. Christian, we're secure in ours because we are secure in Christ, grounded by the Holy Spirit, forgiven by the Father, welcomed into his kingdom and his court. What we need to do more than anything else is live like it. Now, that doesn't mean you know, like go running down the street coughing on people, going, I'm not wearing my mask! Ah! Hey. But we can't live in fear. We can't live hidden. And we can't live in worry. The gospel demands that we don't, which, again, we've made this point numerous times. Throughout human history, whenever there was a, a plague or pestilence, descending upon a nation do you know who's always sticking around building hospitals caring for the sick digging wells you know baking bread and handing it out you know who's doing that christians were doing that the church has been doing that for centuries for centuries i think that's probably one of the things that drives me the most bonkers about this is this is the first quote-unquote plague in human history where church is like we're gonna stay home we're good And Christians are saying, no, no, we're good. We're going we're gonna to hold up and we're going to stay here. It's the 
It's the first time we've ever really done that. Not, not, as a, as a, not in totality. But the number of people, even of faith, who are just terrified is astounding to me. Past generations used to be like, the plague is going to kill me. I'm not looking forward to it, but I get to God that much faster. And in the meantime, I get to do what? I get to serve and proclaim and demonstrate his love and his mercy and his grace to others. They did that because they were secure in their faith, in their salvation. What this is revealing to a lot of people is whether or not they are, or in some cases are not. And this is the daily work that I'm always honest that we have to do, is we have to examine ourselves. See, we don't just get out of bed and be like, all right, there's my cross in the corner. Here we go. You know, got my cross out of the corner. Here we go. Let's go to work. That's not what this is. It's a daily recognition that I am dead. I was dead before Christ. It was just I had judgment upon me. Now I'm dead in Christ, but I'm also alive, meaning there's no judgment coming. But my life is forfeit. It has already been bound in Christ. He holds it. He secures it. He grounds it. I don't have to worry about it. I just have to do the good works that are laid out ahead of me as I live my life. And whatever may come is what may come, and I will rejoice in the presence of God at the end of it. See, that's how I take up my cross each day, is I do it in a manner that actually examines who I am and reminds me that I was low. But as he was brought low and raised up, I too now am raised up with him. And so I have no fear, and I have no worry, and I have no doubt, and I have no shame, because I have life in him. Verse 9. What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which, we, with which we rejoice before our God on your account? And I still can't say that. With which we rejoice. Yeah, there's just too many W's in there. See, what thanks can they render that would be sufficient for all that God has done? The answer is they can't. That's the point of a life that is rejoicing in him and not in us and in this place. Thom, Psalm 37, not Psalm 37. Oh my goodness, it's, it's a day, I'm telling you. Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. See, we twist that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean be a Christian and get rich. It means that as you delight yourself in the Lord, what does he give you? himself, his security, his safety, his peace. What did Jesus tell the disciples? My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but as I give. See, as I delight in the Lord, I am given the desires of my heart. As I delight in the Lord, what do I want more of? Oh, more Jesus. I want to live like him. I want to live a holy, sanctified life in this world as much as possible. I want to do the good works. And God on high is going, I want you to do those things too. So as you're focused on me and reminding yourself of who you are in me and you're doing those things, guess what I'm going to give you? More of those things. And you're going to say, yes, because what do you want? More of that. See, this is how the snowball going down the hill in the Bugs Bunny cartoon works in your favor. See, you've, you've experienced this with sin. 
where you're like, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm just going to, it'll be okay. And you, and you start rolling down the hill. And how big is the snowball? <laughs> By the time the Bugs Bunny snowball gets to the bottom of the hill, what happens? How big is it? It's destroying cities. and See, that's what your sin does. As we indulge in it, we just kind of... It works the same way in righteousness. As I walk in him and I rejoice in him, I am given more of him. And as I am given more of him, I rejoice and I work and I serve in his kingdom. And he does what? He gives me more of him. And I rejoice. And you see what happens to the snowball going down the hill? The Bugs Bunny snowball works in your favor, not just as your enemy. This is what happens as we walk and keep the faith. Ephesians 4 again. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is how church works. You're an encourager. You are placed in a church that needs encouragers. What do you do? You encourage. The church is encouraged. Now the person who labors is encouraged by your encouragement. So what do they do? They now labor more. Or say, let's make this more practical. You have someone who prays. You encourage them to keep praying. So they do what? They pray more. Now because they're praying more, they need more encouragement. You encourage more. What are you now doing? You're just slowly lifting up your works in godliness. You're building on each other. This is why we need the servants of the church to work together, because we supply different things. You can't just have, you know, a, a bunch of laborers. We need people who pray. We need people who encourage. We need people who administer. We need all of these things, all the gifts. Um, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. It's your spiritual gifts chapters. Go read them. They will do you good. And just like, well, I don't know if I have any of these. And you know what you do? Start at the top of the list, start doing that. And you'll eventually get to one that's just easy. There it is. There's your spiritual gift. Two twelves and two fours. Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians, 1 Peter 4. And you can go through those. And again, I don't know which one is mine. Then just start at the beginning and go, eh. and if you don't like that method, go, well, which one do you like the best? Which one sounds like the most fun? Because that's the one you're probably inclined to do, which means that's the one the Holy Spirit has gifted you for. Therefore, Go! This is how it works, and in godliness we now build up together. Verse 10, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This was so easy until Paul had to go throw that in there, didn't it? Wasn't it? See, and he, this isn't the only place he says this, so we got to make sure we deal with this. We pray as night and day, we keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Based on three almost entire chapters of this book, is there anything lacking in the faith of the Thessalonians? Not yet, but what do we got to do? Complete, you see, this drives me nuts. Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. See, that just makes the back of your brain tickle, doesn't it? Galatians 6. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, 
if you're not paying attention, your first thought will be, wait a minute, so, so Paul is suffering so that he's saved? Because isn't that why Jesus bore marks in his body? Isn't that why he was afflicted, was for our salvation? So if I'm afflicted in the same way to fill up what is lacking, then don't I need to suffer to be saved? See, you're chewing because you're going, that makes sense. But the back of your brain's going, no, it's a trap. He's trying to trick you. And you're smart people because I am. <laughs> what was Paul just telling them that they should be doing? What did I spend 10 minutes rambling on about? <laughs> like, I, you expect us to listen to you? Here, give you the hint. Do I do that so I will be saved? No, I do that why? Because I am saved. See, this is the understanding of your work. See, all of that stuff that we just talked about, building up one another, the, snow, the Bugs Bunny snowball of righteousness, this becomes dangerous if you think you are doing this to make God happy. If you are doing this to please God, you have turned off the ramp of sanctification and you are on a dirt road of self-righteousness. And it is not good. Bad things happen. Deer run out in front of you. Cars get totaled. It's a, it, it's a total disaster. No. We don't bear the marks. We don't endure suffering. We don't do good works so that God will be pleased with me. Is God pleased with me? That's a harder question to answer. The answer is, if I am in Christ, God is pleased with me. Because is God pleased with Christ? Yes. How do I know that? Because Christ suffered and died, and what happened? As Peter put it, God raised him up again because death had no claim. So I know that God is pleased with Christ because Christ was raised, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Therefore, as I am in Christ... God is pleased with Christ and with me. I do not do my good works. I do not engage in the cooperative work of the church. I do not stand firm so that God will be pleased. I do that because God is pleased and he has empowered me to do these things. Who strengthens me? Christ. Who secures me? The Holy Spirit. So I do those things because, because here's the thing. This is why John can say they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if you are standing firm, grounded by the power of Christ and the security of the Holy Spirit, who's moving you? Which means if you wander away, were you grounded and secured by God the, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? No, you went out from us because you were not of us. I do not do these things to be saved. I do these things because I already am. So, what's lacking in their faith? Plenty. Where do they live? On what sinful planet? This one. Are they perfect people? No. Therefore, what's going to crop up on a random Tuesday? I don't know, but it's going to be something. Something will happen. No. What we have in all of these things is a proof of salvation. 2 Corinthians 1. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. If I'm standing firm against the current of the sin of the world, what is my comfort? Because this stinks. This is no good, but I can't get away from it. Where is my comfort? It's in Christ. It's secure in Christ, grounded by the Holy Spirit, knowing that there is a kingdom in, with God awaiting me. See, I'm comforted that because I'm no longer focusing on this. I'm focusing where? On him. So as I'm doing this, and someone else is doing this, and someone else is doing this, what are we all sharing in? We're sharing in the same sufferings, but that means we're also sharing in what? The same joy, hope, and comfort in Christ. When one wanders away, they no longer share in our comfort, do they? We don't rejoice in them. We mourn them. We don't have joy. We don't have a strengthening of our faith, because what have we just watched? We've just watched someone abandon it. So Paul can complete what is lacking, not because their faith is not saving, but because he can rejoice with them. He can be there. And as they see him acting faithfully against the same opposition, what do they do? They celebrate. As he sees them standing faithfully amongst opposition, what does he do? He celebrates because he sees the work of God in their lives and he can rejoice. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. See, there's Christian living. This is one of your hallmark duties of Christ because he's changed you. 1 John 4, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So what will they know about us? They will know that we are Christians. Don't you love it when that all works together like that? <laughs> See? This is why we walk and we work together. This is Galatians 6 again. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. See, what do you mean fulfill the law of Christ? Well, what did Jesus tell the masses? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, specifically, rest. See, if Christ is the healer, if Christ is the physician, then as we walk together in godliness, where are we going? We are going to Christ. Which means, as I tell you to walk with me and I carry your burden with you, where are we both carrying it? To the one who heals, to the one who takes it away. Um, if you've never seen it, there's, a, there's actually a pretty good movie out a few years ago. I have a copy of it if you want to call me and borrow it of um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. They, uh, it's an awesome book. Look for an abridged version of it because it's, it's, it's brought up into modern English. It's a phenomenal read. But it's an allegory, meaning everything in the story represents something. And so the, the main protagonist is a man by the name of Christian who is escaping the city of destruction by heading towards the celestial city by the king's road. 
In other words, a saved man is fleeing sin, traveling the path of sanctification to heaven. Are you with me so far? One of the best scenes in the whole thing is he's got this burden on his back that he can't get rid of. And it finally passes off of him when he goes through the king's gate to enter onto the king's highway. So as he is saved by Christ and he enters the path of sanctification, the burden falls away. doesn't mean sin departs because the man has all sorts of problems the rest of the travels. But he ultimately makes it because he is going to be secure in Christ. And that's part of this. This is why we bear one another's burdens and bear with one another because we are carrying one another along to the final goal, which is the ultimate healer. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. So in other words, you'll be grounded in Christ. As John put it again, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for all, for, for, but also for those of the whole world. See, they are secure. Paul is secure. Now, I have a question for you. Does that sound like the end of a letter? I mean, just take this. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's an awesome ending. That's a great conclusion to a letter. What's the problem? There's five chapters in Thessalonians, and First Thessalonians, and we're only on chapter 3 which means we're not there yet. But these guys are faithful. They're living well. They're doing good. They're enduring suffering. They're, they're doing so good that Paul is happy with them. Like, read Paul's letters. How often is he happy? <laughs> I mean, Paul's writing a letter typically because something's going wrong. What's going on? These people have got it. If anybody should not need a letter from Paul, it should be who? Seemingly the church at Thessalonica. Remember that random Tuesday? Yeah. It happens to everybody. They are still a sinful people living in a sinful world, seeking to walk a sanctified path. And whenever you do that, whenever you stand firm against the tide of the world, there's going to be friction. There's going to be problems and there's going to be difficulties. This is why we get the blessing of a letter like 1 Thessalonians is because we can see a people who are trying and apparently doing really well still encountering struggles and difficulties in the world. And the reason why I say that's a blessing is because thanks be to God that in the midst of those problems, he has given an answer. And even better, he has preserved it for us. Because that's what we get with these letters in the New Testament, and that's what we get in Scripture, is we get a walkthrough on how life is supposed to function. We get an understanding of what do we do when these problems arise? What do we do when we're doing everything it seems like we're supposed to be doing, and it still isn't working out the way we want it to do? We still feel like we missed something. That's the comfort that gets provided by God. He did it then. And the good news of the gospel is that he still does it now. He did it then with Paul. He does it now with who knows who. 
He did it then with the writing of Scripture. He does it now by the prayer of the saints, the bearing of one another's burdens, the walking together, the comfort of the church, functioning as the church. This is why I mourn when I see churches just, we're just, we're just done. We're not connecting to anybody anymore. We're just going to close until this is all over. We can't. And we can't shut off from the world because as long as we still mourn what is wrong with it, we are duty-bound by the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to try and set it right. We can't just hide. We have to proclaim and make disciples. And the beauty of that is, is no matter what it costs us in this place, the reward with God is eternally beneficial. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we say thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do. We thank you for the difficulties you send us in life because they strengthen us, they prove our faith, and they secure us in your kingdom. Not because they save us, but because they reveal your saving work. And Lord, we thank you for those trials and those difficulties. And we pray that you would continue to strengthen us, to carry us through them all the more. And that no matter what may befall this world, that we as your faithful people would continue to minister, that we would reach out, that we would strengthen, that we would proclaim your great salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you. We lift in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty work, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore, who reigns forevermore. Uh, just a reminder, try to keep up with everybody. If you haven't heard from anybody in a while, give them a call, send them an email, carrier pigeon, smoke signal, something, just so we know how everybody's doing. And if you hear of anybody that needs anything, let us know and we'll see what we can figure out. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, ground us in your word that we would be the people that you would have us to be, serving in the kingdom that you are building and not the one that we are desiring. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.